big loneliness pandemic going on at the moment, um, we are wired as humans to connect with others. So um, I think being able to open up a non-judgmental conversation with a friend, let them know that you've noticed they haven't been themselves or they've, you've noticed a change in their behaviour or how they're talking um, and letting them know that you care about them and that you're there to listen. So you don't need to know how to be their psychologist. Um, it's just being able to have that conversation and let them know that you're there to support them. Welcome to Swim.Rocks, the show that shares ideas, information and inspiration between swimming people who stay dry. My name is Lachlan Vane Tempest and the month of September is a month where we raise awareness and funds for mental health illnesses. There are so many great initiatives happening this month, including the Black Dog Institute's Mullets for Mental Health and of course, Are You OK Day? This month on Swim.Rocks, we are putting mental health first and talking to a range of people who deal with mental illnesses firsthand or raise funds and awareness for mental health research. On today's episode, we are talking to performance psychologist Chelsea Carpenter. Chelsea is a former swimmer from the Nutterwadding Swim Club down in Victoria and is one of Australia's top psychologists for swimming and other sports as well. Chelsea and I talk about the simple signs and symptoms of mental health illnesses, how we can help our mates if they are struggling, and also how to deal with teenagers and mental health illnesses. Enjoy! G'day everyone and welcome to this episode of Swim.Rocks and the 10th of September is Are You OK Day. So this month on Swim.Rocks we are talking about mental health. The COVID period has caused a lot of anxiety and depression throughout so many people around the world. This September will probably be the most important Are You OK Day to date and it is vital that we check up on our friends and family. To talk more about how we can go about that and also the important details on mental health. We are talking to a performance psychologist for Swimming Australia, Chelsea Carpenter. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's so cool to be a part of this. And um, you're down in Melbourne. How's everything going down there? We are nearly out of, well, hopefully nearly out of lockdown. Um, yep. I think we, we get a bit of a roadmap out of lockdown this Sunday. So hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel. It's been tough, but we're nearly there, I think. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. When this show crossed. goes out, we we all will know that. But uh, we're talking today on a Friday, so the weekend you got a little yeah. uh, little <laughs> bit of time to wait there. Now, yeah. Chelsea, before we get um, into the important details of mental health, you were a former swimmer, weren't you? I was. So quite a while ago now, I retired in 2012. Um, swam down in Melbourne at Nunawading Swimming Club with Amanda Isaac and Rowan yep. Taylor. Um, yeah, so really cool experience. And what, Do you what miss was your, the pool, what, what <laughs> but not main, before I am starts. What, <laughs> what was your yeah. main stroke? What was your main event? Um, so I was a hundred and two hundred meter breaststroke swimmer, and yep. two hundred IM. Oh, fantastic! Bit fantastic. of variety, which was yep, good. Yep. Yeah. yeah, good. Very good. Now, Chelsea, I have you on the show today because of that swimming background um, and how you can relate to our audience, and and also the work you did with with swimming. Uh, sorry, the Queensland Academy of Sports Swimming Program in the past and also swimmers all around Australia. Um, how long have you been a psychologist at that high performance level? Yes, yeah, so I've been working as a psychologist for the last five years or so, um, varying different levels. So from grassroots through to high performance level. So varying different sports as well. So team sports, individual sports, I actually do quite a lot of work in performing arts. So mm. um, ballet and musical theatre, which I really enjoy but I definitely have a soft spot for swimming. So working with swimmers, coaches, um, parents, 
something I'm really familiar with. So I really enjoy it. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, I know everyone's probably sick and talking, talking about, you know, the COVID period and, you know, this, this COVID era, but why do you think this, this period has been so tough for, for everyone? You know, is it just because, you know, that there is so much uncertainty into the future? I think there's a lot of different reasons and things that are at play at the moment. I think definitely uncertainty. So there's so much uncertainty on, you know, when things will go back to normal. I know other states are back in the pool already. Victorians are obviously not. Um, uncertainty of what competitions looks like, um, all of that, just the way of our general day-to-day life. I think there's grief. So when we think about grief, we often think about when we lose someone, but we also grieve, you know, the loss of freedom, the loss of structure that we have, Mm -hmm. the loss of things that we love to do. So that all got taken away from us. Um, Biggest one I think is connection. So that we're also grieving the loss of connection, um, I think if anything, COVID has taught us how important that physical connection with people is. Um, mm. Social media is amazing. and We're so fortunate to have, you know, the opportunity right now to be Zooming with you, but being in yep. someone's presence, I think we really take that for granted. So I think there's a lot of different varying things happening as to why it's been such a tough time. Yeah, fantastic. Now, Chelsea, let's talk about, uh, I guess, the basics, but also, in a way, the most important parts of, of mental health. Um, so when we are looking at, at, at someone who is suffering from mental health issues, what are some of the signs and symptoms? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there's so many things that we can look out for in terms of mental health difficulties. Um, the biggest thing is change in behaviour. So... Mm-hmm. Um, looking for people acting in ways that they wouldn't normally act or, um, you know, they might be more withdrawn than normal or they change in their communication in how they talk or how frequently they talk. Um, Changes in sleep, so either sleeping a lot more or not as much. Um, Appetite, like I said, the language that they use, just how they're using their coping skills day to day. Mm. So coping with school and sport and friendships and all of that. Um, but also the life stresses. So mm. I think that's a really big, a big point to just remember that people have stuff going on in their lives. So is it a family separation? Have they lost someone that they love? Are they going through exams at school? Is it coming up to nationals? Is it, you know, states? Mm. What are the stresses going on as well? So just being able to kind of check in with, with those kind of things, I think is important. Yeah, fantastic. And you moved, and you sorry, you mentioned there, you know, people removing themselves from situations. Um, and, and that's one thing, you know, a lot of people seem to do. If we see a mate or a loved one like, like that and they remove themselves and they are not okay, what can we do to help them? Yeah, I think connection is so important. Like I said before, I think COVID's taught us how important connection is. Um, mm big loneliness pandemic going on at the moment. Um, We are wired as humans to connect with others. So um, I think being able to open up a non-judgmental conversation with a friend, let them know that you've noticed they haven't been themselves or they've, you've noticed a change in their behavior or how they're talking um, and letting them know that you care about them and that you're there to listen. So you don't need to know how to be their psychologist. Um, It's just being able to have that conversation and let them know that you're there to support them. Um, and that you can help them through that process to find support if need be. I think Are You OK Day coming up is amazing um, and it's such a great cause, but I think every day can be Are You OK Day. Mm. 
Yeah, fantastic. Now, now Chelsea, a couple couple uh, episodes back, we had NRL legend Wayne Wigan on the podcast, um, and he was talking about his work with the Black Dog Institute, and he mentioned that some of his friends from rugby league, you know, had had come out saying that they had been suffering, and and Wayne had no idea about it, you know, and and these guys were were you know the happiest people on the field or in the team or, you know, his mates, you know, who, who laughed and joke the most. And it's often those who suffer the most that are, that are the best hiders of it. Is there a way that we can break through that facade to really ask if someone's okay? Yeah. A great get on the podcast too, to, you know, be able to talk about these kind of things. And I think it's so common when we lose people in the community, we, we are often quite surprised. The first one that comes to mind is Robin Williams. Um, yep. So many people were shocked to hear about that. Um, so it, it is a really tricky one because people that have been dealing with mental health or mental illness issues for a long time, they get very good at, at knowing how to hide it and how to, I guess, protect themselves from, um, you know, people understanding and, and seeing and, and not wanting to stress people out or whatever it may be. Um, I think it's important to remember to have those conversations with people that do look like they're coping okay. Um, a lot of the time we, you know, we talk about the signs and symptoms of mental health and how we should reach out to our friends that are going through big life stresses or, you know, displaying those symptoms, but having those are you okay conversations and just making them a regular thing with people that do seem like they're coping okay. So the mates that, you know, are the life of the party and are always having a great time I think just normalizing those those conversations is important and checking in, checking in with all your friends, regardless of how they appear on the surface. Yeah, fantastic. Now, besides seeking help, um, you know, whether that be a psychologist or, or a GP um, or any you know health professional um, that is in that field, what are some strategies that, that someone who is struggling can do, you know, that is simple and also cost free? Yeah, excellent question. I think um, it'll sound so cliche, but getting a good night's sleep or having some mm. kind of sleep routine. Um, sleep is how we we regulate our emotion and you know recover our body and mind and everything like that. Eating well. Um, so these are the things that tend to go out the door or out the window at, at, the, at the start. I know when I'm stressed, it tends to be sleeping, eating and exercise that go out the door. Um, <laughs> first thing. Exactly. <laughs> I love the dirty um, bird. <laughs> yes. So it's always the first thing, but it's, it's the most important thing. So sleep, eating well and exercise. So in the UK, they're actually starting to prescribe exercise interventions for mental health before mm. medication, which oh, I think right. is really cool. So it's, um, I know a lot of the swimmers are already exercising a lot, but just for any of you that are listening, exercise is um, so important. I think taking time to be in the present moment. Um, we so often, you know, dwell on what's just happened or are worrying about what's going to come next. So just taking time to have a breath and just be in the moment. Connect with your people. I know that sounds cliche as well, but connecting with your friends and family. They're the people that, you know, that you love and you care about and they love and care about you as well. Mm. And I think just scheduling time to switch off each day. So whether that's switch off from your phone and your social media, but just making self-care a priority. So when we tend to be really stressed or overwhelmed, we don't 
always make that a priority. Um, I think that's important. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Now, you mentioned there, you know, exercise, you know, being a, a tool before medication. Um, as soon as we, we, we are exercising, you know, all the time um, at, you know, insane amounts, at insane amounts a day. Um, but in your experience, Chelsea, you know, whether as a psychologist or a swimmer itself, besides exercise, how does swimming positively affect someone who has mental health issues and also negatively? Yeah, I think it, I'm very biased. I think swimming is an amazing sport. Yeah. <laughs> um, so wait, but, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm talking to the right audience. Um, no, positively, I think it's, you know, things like routine. Um, swimmers are so routine orientated. It's like trying to fit everything in a day you need to have a good routine. So I think mm. that's positive in terms of our brain and knowing what to expect. Routine is structure. Um, obviously exercise, uh, being part of something. I know swimming sometimes people are like, oh, it's such an individual sport, but you're a part of a team. You've got your squad and your coach and hmm. um, everything that goes with that. So I think that they're the positives and, you know, being able to push the limits of what you thought you could do. Hmm. So achieving things. Yeah. Um, negatively, I guess there's always things like lack of sleep and exhaustion. Hmm. So I know swimmers are really prone to things like that. So if you're not recovering well, you can do risk of burnout, injury, and just general coping mental health as well. Um, and the thing I probably come across most is the pressure and expectation. So whether yeah. that's real or whether that's what an athlete perceives, um, that can be a negative side of swimming. So obviously yeah. all of these things can be managed. And if you're you know, self-aware, having conversations, reaching out, and you've got some tools and strategies to deal with it, you can overcome those negative things um, and make them more manageable. Yeah, well, speaking of tools and strategies, uh, you know, we have a lot of teenagers uh, leave the sport and may not take up another sport, um, you know, who, who and they may have been suffering with, with anxiety and depression or just, you know, uh, high levels of stress. What are some strategies that, that coaches can use to help swimmers, you know, who are suffering staying in the sport? Yeah, I think, I think it's a really good point because we know that towards those later years of adolescence, um, yeah. there tends to be a big dropout rate yeah. in sport, swimming yeah. and otherwise. Um, and it can be for a variety of reasons. So it can be, you know, school and getting a part-time job and relationships and all that kind of thing. There's, you know, social life, it can be very tempting to have a social yeah, life, yeah. Um, which I get. And, but it is challenging for coaches to know how to help. And I think mm. that coach-athlete relationship is really important. So being able to have those open conversations and, you know, ask questions without judgment. Oh, I notice that you're not feeling too well. What's going on for you? Um, it can be tempting to just keep pushing them and pushing them as a coach because you want to get the best out of them. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. coming from a, a helpful place. But I think being able to build that open dialogue between coach and athlete is really important and making them feel like they have a safe space where they can tell you when something's wrong. Yeah. Um, you might not always be the go-to person, but just being able to check in with them and say, hey, how are you going today? How can we help you get through this session or... You know, have you got stuff going on at home? Is it is it, if it's exam period, uh, you've probably all known as a coach when it's exam period, swimmers tend to not be there or they're yeah. extra stressed when they are. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I think that conversation is is important, building that relationship. 
Yeah, fantastic. Now, we spoke about adolescence and, you know, one area that is a crisis, you know, probably pre-COVID um, and also in this current COVID time is mental health and teenagers. You know, as a coach, we often have parents communicating with us about their child's state of mind and and one area which we, we mentioned earlier in a positive way. But let's start with social media and the perceived desire of the perfect image, not so much the perfect body image, but also, you know, the perfect backdrop, the perfect, you know, uh, angle of uh, the lighting or, or whatnot and, and turning yourself from just a person with an account to a, a brand in a way, young teenagers mm. these days have that added pressure of social media and, you know, that pressure, uh, you know, that can pressure their physical self uh, and then can cause you know harm to their mental health. Now, I didn't have social media until I was 17. So like majority of parents, I don't know what it's like to have social media, you know, at the age of 12, 13, 14. How should a parent go about their child posting images on social media? It is a tricky one because it's, it's almost like social media is a necessary evil. Um, yeah. And I'm the same as you. So I didn't get a phone until I was 18 and my version of social media was coming home and chatting to my friends on MSN Messenger. Yeah. Uh, that, even just thinking about that really took me back. Um, so there's no doubt there's positives to social media and I think that's been seen through this pandemic. Um, but I definitely don't envy teenagers and the pressures that go with it. So... I think young teenagers, you know, parents should probably be regulating their social media mm. um, and having open conversations with them about what is social media and what they're likely to see. Um, because like you said, it's all about branding. It's yeah. often a very, very, very highly filtered version of reality. Mm. Um, so people also don't often share the bad things. So it's always the highlights. It's like a highlight reel. Um, yeah. And the photo that someone's put up is probably one of 40 that they tried to take and they've whacked a few filters on it. So yeah. I think having those conversations with your kids early that not everything that you see is real. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having conversations about that, showing some examples of, you know, posts or videos or things that it's like, Hey, do you actually think this is reality? Um, mm. So I think just normalizing that, social media is filtered yeah. um, and just trying to make them realize that their self-worth isn't tied up in the amount of likes they get on yeah. a photo. Yeah. yeah. I know, I know I made it a priority to, to, well, not a priority. It was kind of forced in a way to add mum and, uh, and, and nan and, and pop and all that. And yeah. I don't want anything, you know, on social media that, you know, that poor nan's going to see and, and, you know, blow up at <laughs> mum because I've, because I've posted it. Um, yes. but yeah, yeah. So, uh, a parent's first reaction might be right. You are, you are, you know, not using your phone the correct way. I'm taking that off you or even like, um, uh, whether it be playing on an Xbox and talking to friends on Xbox and then staying, you know, up until 3am in the morning, you know, should removing a device like a phone or a console be an option? It is a fine line, I think. It's such a tricky balance. And I know that a lot of parents struggle with this because first instinct is to just take it away. Um, yeah. So, yes, there's probably positives that go with that, but I think there's a lot of negatives. Um, so I'm just thinking about phone as an example. So I know a lot of teenagers, um, it, it leads to tricky behaviour. So um, 
I know teenagers that have spare phones. So if you take their phone off you, they've got a spare one. Um, so I think it taking devices off them can be detrimental in some ways because it is the way that they connect with their friends. Mm. Um, it's often how they listen to music. It's how they watch TV. It's how they research and Google things to seek understanding. Um, mm. So I think there's some positives of them still having their device, but maybe there's other ways of, you know, not disciplining them, but teaching them about their phone use and their, their devices. Um, so I think, you know, parents can model this too. So perhaps have family time where you all switch off the phone or put them away. Mm. Um, you know, whatever it is, you need to model as a parent that you don't need to have it glued to your hand the whole time. Um, so having those conversations with them and, and showing them how to kind of disconnect as well. Um, can be helpful so if you kind of start that early and set the expectations um, if you do decide to take the device from them then it's not such a shock because they know how to cope without it yeah um, but it's also your you're helping teach them and model to them what's helpful and I guess it gives the, the kids a sense of control as well um, you know that they have the phone like it's their responsibility to regulate what's on there but then the parents also just kind of keep an eye on as well would you agree with that yeah i think so i think parents are there to guide um yeah guide them so they need to learn and teenagers are going to make mistakes so they're probably going to post something that maybe they shouldn't have or commented something or whatever but i think it's every opportunity there is a learning opportunity to yeah. teach them and guide them so that's that's the key for the parents i think the role in the device and social media and all that kind of thing yeah fantastic now let's talk about the dreaded uh teenage dirtbag years um you know i've gone through it i'm I, i'm not sure if you did chels i'm not gonna i'm not gonna oh, just assume but i was an angel no <laughs> <laughs> But, no, but what is the difference between, you know, that normal uh, teenage attitude and then a teenager with mental health issues? And what are some kind, sorry, some key signs to look for, you know, between the two? Yeah, I think this is a common one that I get from parents as well. Um, I think you got a lot of questions about this and this is why it's a question in the podcast. Um, teenagers are, they're basically trying to find their way in the world. Okay. So the world's a really confusing place. Um, so they're trying to figure out where they fit where they want to be um, and just, yeah, like make sense of the world. But the adolescent brain at the same time is going through so many different changes. So it's really normal for them to be moody, um, which you're probably familiar with and you've been there yourself, but um, moody, but it's normal for them to want to try new things. It's normal for them to want to test the boundaries, mm. um, to take risks. So this is all a normal part of being a teenager. Um, so Again, I think I said before, they will make mistakes. Um, yeah. So that's the normal part of it. They're also trying to navigate the way through high stress environments. So even as adults, we don't always cope very well with high stress environments. Mm. Um, so they're trying to navigate these, you know, pressures in sport. You know, they might perceive pressure or just coping with sport, school, exams, social life. Um, so I guess as parents and coaches, it's to help make, help them make sense of the word the world and have open conversations um i think the challenge is when maybe some of those symptoms that we spoke about earlier are more consistent so if you're seeing yeah, okay. those consistent changes in behavior maybe i don't i'm not putting a number on it but like a four-week period where 
you know, they're going through exams, they're withdrawing, they're not sleeping well, they're not eating well, um, they're not opening up. So if the communication mm. lines have been cut off and all of a sudden they're not disclosing what's going on, if that's consistent behaviour pattern, I think that's when maybe there's some cause for concern or some red flags. Um, yeah. So it, it, is, it is very difficult to determine what is teenage behaviour and what's yeah. not. Um, but I think it's, it's the consistency of those symptoms that we spoke about before. Yeah, yeah, not just the, the one-off, uh, you know, yell at mum because she forgot something or, oh, I don't know, something totally. crazy like that. That, that will happen. <laughs> That's to be expected. <laughs> Definitely. Now, Chelsea, when a teenager, you know, is suffering some form of stress, um, what are some day-to-day strategies that a parent can use? You know, is it as simple as asking a question like, you know, what are three things that went well for you today? We had a parent uh, at Warringah uh, say, um, you know, she does a high, low, ha. So it's your highest thing that was your best of the day, the lowest point of your day, and then something funny that happened to you that day. Is it as simple as doing something like that? I like that. That's really cool. Um, I think whenever we experience stress, we, we all experience stress, right? Mm -hmm. Adults, kids, teenagers, we all go through it. And I think it's about reflecting and learning how you cope best with it. Mm. So for, I'm just throwing out an example. You might encourage them to take some time out. I know swimmers in particular, their schedule is very busy. So um, there's limited hours to do homework, but if you're stressing out and you're sitting there, freaking out about it, sometimes it's better to just take 10 minutes out and go do something else and come back yeah with a fresh mind um so that can be something that you can model to them as well as parents so when you're stressed how do you cope with stress so do Mm. you show them the meltdown that you have and the you know everything (laughs) that goes with it like we have internal meltdowns no doubt um but what are you teaching them when you know share with them how you deal with stress Mm. um i think the three things at the end of the day that is positive is really good um but i also think it's important to share that yeah, I've had a tough day today as yeah. mum, or I've, um, I've been feeling really stressed the last few days and just normalize that it's not always going to be the positive. I think yeah. a lot of the time we, we, we almost set ourselves up for failure because we think we should be positive and happy and stress-free and motivated all the time. Yeah. And that's not the case. I think as parents, you can model that, hey, yeah, I'm actually having a really tough time here, but this is how I deal with it. And these are the things that are helpful for me and maybe open up a conversation with them and say, yeah. um, you know, when I feel like this, I, I take time out or I, you know, go for a walk or connect in with a friend. And then you often come back to that task that you're doing more clear in your head and mm. tend to be more efficient. I know myself when I'm smashing out work, sometimes I sit there and procrastinate for so long yeah. <laughs> because I'm so stressed. It's like, I could have just used that time to go do something and come back and feel a bit better. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me personally, it's just get outside. Um, whether that be, you know, um, shoot some hoops of basketball or, or, or go for a walk or just drive to the beach or something like that. Just getting out of the house is just such a stress, like stress reliever for me personally. Yeah. Um, now Chelsea, you know, what if a teenager is lashing out, you know, or simply, you know, not acting themselves, you know, in a, in a kind of negative sense, um, for a parent, it's very easy to react in that negative way back, you know, but how should a parent go about it? Yeah. And also, these are all awesome questions because teenagers are going to lash out. They are going to get angry and, you know, um, be unreasonable. That's part of being an adolescent. Um, mm. So as we spoke about before, 
their brain is going through so much change and they're trying to figure out their way in the world and how to respond to different things. Um, so basically when they're lashing out, they're in fight or flight mode. So in yeah. their brain, their emotional brain is heightened and their smart brain, which is their ability to rationalize and think clearly and, you know, make good decisions. That part of the brain is not functioning as, a, mm. as effectively as it would. And as a parent, you're probably heightened as well. So your fight or flight response is probably there. And sometimes the instinct is to lash back. Yeah. yeah. So to, to yell back or get into those screaming matches, um, which, you know, might serve a purpose in the, in the moment, you, you feel better for it. But yeah. afterwards, it's not always so great. Um, yeah. And so I think as parents, there's again, that opportunity to model how to manage when that fight or flight response is happening in your brain yeah. so when you're emotional um but also i think allowing them to kind of calm down so yeah. if they're lashing out they're not going to think clearly anything you say to them in that moment it's going to go in one ear and out the other yeah um, so i think it's about letting them have their meltdown when the dust has settled going back and having a conversation with them calmly yeah. non-judgmentally and seeking to understand what's going on for them because yeah. in that moment they're frustrated or there's something happening for them. So rather than going in there to kind of start up an argument again, actually having that calm, non-judgmental space where you're like, Hey, what just happened? Yeah. What, what was that? What was going on for you there? I want to seek to understand this. Um, yeah. Is there a way that I can help you? Is there something mm. I can do as a parent that's going to make that easier next time? Um, yeah. So I think, again, that's not easy as a parent because sometimes your natural instinct is just to react. Yeah. But, um, I, I know like, and I can only talking from, from my own experience, you know, it's always, you don't understand mum. you know, you don't know what it's like, but like, and you know, like you, you, your parent goes, you're right. I don't know what it's understand. I'm, like, I don't know what it's like to be in your brain right now. And I guess having that conversation, you know, like, please let me know it is so helpful. Yeah. And I think sometimes they might not want to even tell you. And that's, that's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> they might be like, you don't understand. Why would I tell you? Um, but I think sometimes as a parent, you need to be the one that changes the way you respond. So if you're expecting a teenager to change their yeah. way to respond and regulate their emotions when all this stuff's happening in their brain and, you know, they're a teenager, I think sometimes as a parent, you need to go, okay, well, what I'm doing and how I'm reacting is getting this response from them. Mm. What about if I change the way I, I react in that moment and yeah. respond to this situation? Um, can we get to a different outcome? Yeah. Like a bit of now, an experiment as a parent. <laughs> yeah. Now, would it be similar uh, in the way of, in the sense of a coach and how that goes about it? I mean, cause it's not that parent, you know, so it's, it's almost like uh, it's, it's basically like a teacher and how a teacher kind of responds to it. You know, how should a coach go about it? Is it different or is it the same? I think it's similar. I think yeah. um, if you're noticing that you're doing the same thing to try and get the best out of them, they're withdrawing or they're lashing out, mm. probably not working. So maybe taking a different approach. How do I respond to this athlete next time if they're lashing out or whatever? And how do I maybe go and have that conversation when things are calm? So mm. I know it's the same thing as a coach. You're wanting to get the best out of them as an athlete. A parent's wanting to get the best out of them as a human. Um, and not to say coaches aren't about the human side as well, but yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's the same. I think, yeah, being able to open those conversations, that coach-athlete relationship again, um, 
seeking to understand, hey, in that session, I noticed that when I did this, you just, you lash back, what was going on for you there? Mm. Um, so I think, I think that's really important, particularly as adolescents start to develop and they're trying to, you know, you know, 15, 16, 17, they're trying to figure out their way. Um, and it's confusing. It's a confusing time and, and world. So we've got to try and help guide them and yeah. open those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Now moving on, um, you know, swimming can be, you know, can sometimes be, you know, a lonely sport, even though there are, you know, um, you know, teammates around you, it's not like, Oh, um, I've passed the ball to that person. Now it's like, and it's like, not like a team goal, like soccer or AFL or something like that. You know, it's just you in the water. Um, and it's very much a uh, long term goal orientated. How does a parent help their child, you know, set goals that keep them focused on that bigger picture, whether it be nationals in six months time or making an Australian team in five years time. I think that's one of the challenges with swimming, isn't it? Like you've got the, the competitions, you know, that you might have weekly, um, like the regional meets, but quite often swimmers are aiming for states, state long course, which is once yeah. a year mm. and national age, which is once a year. So mm. it isn't like footy or soccer where you get to play every week. Um, so I think it, it can be quite narrow minded as well. Like teenagers, they don't always see the bigger picture. Mm. And it can be hard to think long-term because at the moment, like their only world is school and swimming essentially. So it's stressful. Um, and I think, I think it's important to have those process goals in place. So the smaller goals, if you're looking to make an Australian team in five years time, that might look like a cliff face. That's like, how do I get to the top of this cliff? Yeah. Whereas yeah. if we're able to break it down and have some of those short-term process goals, um, along the way, I think that helps you keep motivated, allows you to reflect on the progress that you are making. That it's like, these are the stepping stones for me to get to that long-term goal, whether it's mm. Australian team in five years or States in six months. Um, yeah. But I think one of the challenges with goal setting is we tend to do it at the start of a season and then put it away and then reflect at mm. the end of the season. Did we meet them? Um, mm. Whereas I think having those little short-term progress goals each week or each month, what are we focusing on? it allows them to reflect and build self-awareness um, mm. and have tools and things that they're working on. So they're making progress and they're feeling motivated and it doesn't just seem like, Oh my gosh, nationals is this far away. How do I get ready? Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, fantastic. All right. Now, even though um, it's kind of improved in the last 20 years, you know, there is still some form of shame when it comes to asking for mental health care. How do we, normalize the conversation around mental health we kind of touched on it a bit earlier by opening up to people but but how do does everyone normalize that that conversation yeah i think i think we were going in the right direction pre-covid that we've got all yeah. of these initiatives um you know are you okay day we've got you know services like headspace beyond blue um, lifeline i think we're heading in the right direction I think if anything, COVID has taught us how important mental health is and how big of a deal it is. Mm. Um, so I'm hoping that perhaps one of the positives that comes out of COVID is that people in general realise how important it is to talk about this stuff yeah. and how important it is to seek help. Um, so I know in Melbourne at the moment, um, the government have, so I'm going into psychology mode here, but normally with the government, they give you 10 
Medicare rebated sessions with a psychologist per year. Mm. And I think in Victoria, they've just upped it to 20 because they yeah. realize, wow, we're in lockdown here. People's mental health is really struggling. Um, we need to get them more support. And I hope this will be a catalyst for further support from government and allowing people the opportunity to access a psychologist or services like this. Yeah. So I think it's all through normalizing and having these conversations as well. And, you know, even with your families being able to talk about, you know, it, it's coming up a lot in the news about people's mental health and talk about why it's, it's um, important to talk about, but also why people are struggling. You know, we've, yeah. like we said at the start, we, we're grieving the things we've lost. We, we've lost connection with others. We lose the sense of meaning and purpose. These are all important things that allow us to thrive every day. So just, I think just talking, talking mm. about this stuff, not hiding away from it, as cliche as it sounds, the more that we can talk and acknowledge this, um, the more I think people will feel comfortable reaching out for help. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Lastly, Chelsea, if it, I know we've touched about it and we're going to keep touching on about it so that everyone it gets stuck in their head. If we are struggling, what should we do? Talk to someone. It yeah. doesn't have to be a psychologist. Um, if you have a coach, a friend, a family member, someone that you feel comfortable saying, hey, I'm actually struggling at the moment, that's the first place, I think. We, we'd naturally feel more comfortable doing that because we know the person. Um, mm. And it's normally the person that you reach out is someone that you trust. So they're not yeah. going to say, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. Just push through. Yeah. Okay, yep. Great. Um, so I think talking to people, there's so many support services available out there. You can go to your GP. So GP is a great place to start. Mm. Um, they can help put you in contact with psychologists or counsellors um, so that you can get some, you know, Medicare rebated sessions, whatever it looks like. There's also the support services that are available as well. Um, mm. So Lifeline, Kids Helpline, um, Headspace, uh, there's suicide callback services as well. So these are all free um, counselling services that are available to you if you need to talk to someone. Yeah, fantastic. And, and speaking of Lifeline, to everyone out there, if you are in need of crisis support, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming onto Swim.Rocks today and, and sharing a bit of light on mental health illness and, 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 and what can be done and how can we prevent it and normalise it. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you and I think we've just opened some more of the conversation, which is a good thing. We sure have. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to that episode and I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to listen to more of our episodes, head over to our website or Apple podcast. And to stay connected, please follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you want to get involved with our digital community, type in the URL community.swim.rocks and follow the prompts. Until next time, guys, stay safe, stay healthy and stay dry. <laughs>